Hello and welcome in to the super version of Not Just Another Sports Podcast, the Super Wildcard Edition. Super Wildcard Weekend has ended and we are here to talk about it. I am Price Carter coming to us from quarantine. It's Christian Ainsworth. Christian, COVID finally got you. How are you hanging in there? Yeah, finally. After all of these, you know, well, I guess the past basically year and a half, somehow my little brother brought it to me over this winter break the week before classes start at Mizzou. So I get an extra week of break and I'm actually not feeling too bad, man. It's, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, uh, I mean, at this point, you can't give anyone grief for getting COVID, right? Like everyone has had it. I I was just telling him before we got an air, I'm sure I've had it at some point and just never known it. Anytime I've had COVID symptoms, I've always taken a test and tested negative. Um, but who knows, you know, it, it is so prevalent right now. Do be careful out there. Um, the federal government is giving out four free tests for everyone. Uh, just find the link on my Twitter. If you want to access it, get your test, test yourselves. Let's try to get over this so we don't have to talk about it anymore because I'm tired of talking about it. Yeah, but, absolutely. And oh, go ahead. Oh, you know, there's there's so much better things to talk about than COVID because we've got what was the super wild card weekend, which really wasn't quite so super. But we've got lots of good games to talk about, breakdown, and then we've got the game of the year ahead of us as Chiefs fans. So let's dive right into it. Um, the first game I wanted to talk about was the first game of the week. We'll just kind of go in order a little bit. Um, it's kind of been forgotten a little bit, but it was actually one of the better games of the weekend, the Bengals-Raiders game. Um, you know, I this game felt a lot less competitive than it was. The, the Raiders kind of made it close there at the end, but... <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I kind of expected, I kind of expected Cincinnati to run out to a bigger lead and they never really did quite pull away. But then again, the Raiders never kind of gave up. What were your big takeaways? Do you think that uh, Cincinnati is, you know, a threat to Tennessee in the AFC or do you think that this was kind of just two turds playing each other and one team had to win? Well, the Bengals, I think actually probably should be favored against the Titans coming into this weekend, but I mean, the game, like you said it, man, it was not as close as the score said it was. The Raiders kind of had that late, that late season, or the late game drive that, that put them in position to win. But I was never really truly scared for the Bengals. It wasn't like, you know, Derek Carr was, was having a touchdown party on them. It wasn't like Darren Waller was completely taking over the game like he sometimes does. I mean, it, to me, it, it was just one of those games like the rest of this weekend that we saw, it was like, it wasn't close from the tip. Well, I'll disagree a little bit. I think now here's the thing. You can always do this with any game. So I'm manufacturing a narrative here a little bit, but Derek Carr really did enough to win that game. And there was just back breaking penalties from his offensive line. It seemed like anytime they had some, some sort of positive play, there was penalties and it wasn't really a rest thing as much as it was just like, you guys are holding, you guys are false starting. You guys are past the line of scrimmage, you know, or whatever. There was just so many back-breaking penalties from the offensive line that, I mean, if they could have executed just a little bit better, I, I really think they could have been right there and possibly won the game. I, now, I think the Bengals had another gear that the Raiders didn't. And if the game would have been tied, I think the Bengals go down and win it. But, I mean, you talked about it with the Titans. I I disagree a little bit. I know that. The, the Bengals are really fun and they're fun to watch and they look a lot like what we expect a championship team to look like nowadays with the weapons and stuff like that. 
But the Titans are really, really well disciplined. The defense is playing really well. That defensive front is going to be a nightmare for Cincinnati's offense, offensive line that struggled and lost another player. I, I mean, to me, the game just comes down to if Jamar Chase plays out of his mind, they have a shot. But I, I don't see Cincinnati's defense being able to hold back A.J. Brown. Derrick Henry looks pretty good in practice this week. And then if they can get any sort of contribution from Julio Jones, some of the other weapons that they have. Well, here's the thing is I don't think they necessarily have to hold those guys back. And Julio Jones will kind of hold himself back in this game. He hasn't really been playing well up to this point. I think they just need to focus on Ryan Tannehill. I mean, what did he have this year? Like 21 touchdowns and 14 interceptions, something crazy like that. Like if they can get into the, if they can get their pass rush going, get into his mind and, and make him throw a few, throw a few interceptions. I think that they'll do okay. I mean, I, I yeah. just don't see that game, especially Joe, when Jamar Chase can push off every, every time he's out. Boy, that, I mean, I'm willing to admit that um, there are some of those push offs that aren't push offs and we're just kind of like sensitive to them as fans. But I mean, there's, <laughs> if, if he pushes off every single time, it's at least half of them. Like, it seems like it's certainly half of them he pushes off on. But, you know, I that, that'll be a good game. I'm certainly glad that that's the first game in the AFC. I kind of like getting to know what the, you know, if the Chiefs are going to Tennessee or fighting for a chance to host the championship. That'll be good. Uh, to me, it's going it, to, that game is really going to come down to two things. The Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow thing, and then what version of Ryan Tannehill shows up. Because occasionally you get bad Ryan Tannehill and he just looks really incompetent. Struggles to get the ball downfield, inaccurate. But you get fingertip roll, Ryan Tannehill, like every once in a while where he just balls out and is doing some good deep balls to A.J. Brown, runs the ball pretty efficiently as a running runner as well. I could completely see Tennessee making this a blowout, especially off the bye. Well, it, it is certainly possible. And with Derrick Henry back, I mean, that guy can do just about anything. And Cincinnati's defense – is not as good as they are on paper. They, they've got some good key players. Who's that edge rusher? I can't think of his name right now, but their their pass rush is, is really good. They've got some solid cornerbacks, but man, Derrick Henry and that offensive line, it's, it's hard for anybody to stop. For sure. And uh, speaking of blowouts, let's go to the Bills-Pats game, which, my God, I mean, I don't, I don't know what was more surprising about this game, just how well the Bengals, uh, the Bills offense performed or how incredibly disappointing the Bill Belichick defense was. I mean, there, there were some highlights running around on Twitter and those guys were just mailing it in. I mean, I don't know if Bills lost that group, if they just were, you know, not there for the cold weather, they weren't into it. But, I mean, that was that was pathetic. I, I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the Bills because obviously we're going to break them down a whole bunch later here in the pod. But from the Patriots' perspective, I mean, what a collapse. I, To me, I, you know, Mac Jones was a good draft pick no matter what. You, you know, they took a chance. He's, I think he's better than what he showed the last couple of games here. But this was basically a collapse by them. And to me – they were they were commercial material, and that's it. Basically, they were just one of those teams that got in the playoffs to give the good teams opponents to play, and they were the classic team that had a lesser schedule from losing last year, a high draft pick, and fattened up on the bad teams on their schedule. 
and that that's really all they were. I to think that like two or three, not even two or three, like three or four weeks ago, people were on TV saying that the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. And this isn't even a Chiefs bias thing. This is a Bills, Bengals, Titans, Chiefs, all those teams. And people, people are just like, oh, New England's the best team in the AFC. It, it just goes to show someone, they saw another white guy playing quarterback who, you know, was lanky and like, oh, they gave him all the Brady credit. And we talked about that. Yeah, well, and we kind of saw this coming, didn't we? I mean, and I think a lot of people did, in all honesty. We saw the overhype earlier in the season playing teams like the Jets uh, or even, well, I guess they, they did play the, the Bills twice earlier in the season, and they, they did okay. They won one of those games. The other game, the Bills ended up taking. But, dude, they, they came into this playoff game and with, with Mac Jones playing the worst football of his career so far in the NFL, and I don't know how, but their defense just crumbled. I mean, there, there were guys lost in the, in the secondary. The pass rush wasn't getting home. It just goes to show you we, we maybe shouldn't evaluate and compare these rookie quarterbacks to all-time greats until maybe, I don't know, their second or third season. Just seems a bit ridiculous to me. Yeah, and some of those, some of the really talented players on the Patriots defense are getting much older. Dante Hightower is getting older. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys on that who that defense is built around who are starting to age. Now they've got some young stars too, but um, you know that that's going to have to be how they're going to win. If you know, if you're the Patriots, you are all in on trying to get more weapons on that offense to bring Mac Jones up to the level that they can even compete with the Bills because. One thing that I said is, you know, I thought the Patriots were going to sneak up and win that division this year. And it looked pretty accurate there for a while. But, um, you know, they just don't have the firepower to run with run with Josh Allen and the Bills. And that was that was very, very evident from that game. Well, the, the problem is, though, is that they just went and did that, didn't they? I mean, they got Hunter Henry. I, they I got think that athletic so, tight end. I mean, I think the thing that they did there is and this is this kind of drawing two comparisons that aren't exactly the same, but I think the moves that they made with Kendrick Bourne and Hunter Henry and those guys, I think that was kind of the padding that they added to ensure Mac Jones wasn't going to be a complete failure. Right? Like we saw Tom Brady suck with that more or less that collection of players and Cam Newton suck with that collection of players. The last two years, you bring Mac Jones into that situation as a rookie quarterback there's zero way he can get any confidence in himself as a player. They brought those players in to, you know, make it um, competent, make it so he can succeed in a run first offense. Now, if they want to kind of take that next step as a team, I think they need to be all in on some dynamic playmakers on the offense wide receiver. I don't think they've got some pretty good running backs, even though they've got two tight ends, I would not stop looking for those either. You know, I, I just think that they need, they need a Tyree kill. They need a, you know, an AJ Brown, someone who's a game breaker right now. They just got a bunch of guys. Kendrick Bourne looks really good as the third or fourth option. Same with Hunter Henry, but whenever they're your go-tos, it's kind of rough. Yeah. And in all honesty, I think that even if they had a few more of those guys, those game breakers, I still don't think this game would have been close. The, the bills were just firing on all cylinders. They, what was it? They had a perfect offensive game. That's yeah. What no said. punts, no field goals, no three and outs. 
The only time that they did not score a touchdown was when they kneeled at the end. But here's yep. here's what I'll say, and no we'll get into this. and no yeah. interceptions too. Yeah. And here's what I'll say: we'll get into this a little bit. The Bills remind me a lot of how the Ravens are. The Ra- the Bills and Ravens, they beat the piss out of teams for no good reason. It's like it's like it's college football. Like they're they're playing to impress the BCS or something. Like they're going to get a higher rating in the system or get a better bowl because they just beat the crap out of teams. I, the Chiefs usually aren't that type of team. They really don't lay it on teams, but they just bludgeon teams. And the Ravens used to be that way too. Back in like 2019, whenever it was Lamar's MVP season, they would just destroy teams, man. And everyone's like, boy, did you see that? They won 50 to nothing. And I mean, it still counts the same in the win column. The Bills are very prone to that as well. But yeah, this game was uh, not close, not close at all. Speaking of not close either, going along with the theme of why this weekend kind of sucked as far as actual football in the field, the Bucks Eagles game was, it was, I mean, it was a, a snooze fest. It was not close. Jalen Hurts looked like he had never played football before. Um, that's a little hyperbolic, but not quite. I think it was like the third quarter before he completed a pass to a wide receiver. And I mean, just in general, this is why the entire expanding of the playoffs was a joke because you've got two teams and obviously the Steelers game was not necessarily close either. You've got two teams, the Steelers and the Eagles who never should have been there. And the two seeds bludgeoned. I think the, you know, the chiefs won by 21 and the, and the bucks won by 16 points. Adding the seven seed was just a bad idea. I know that we think in our heads, more playoff football means better, but I mean, one thing to keep in mind too the playoffs is when good teams become great teams. They know how to turn it on. They have a switch. And Tampa and the Chiefs were both that way. They had both kind of fiddled around, lost some games towards the end of the year. You know, they had the Antonio Brown drama. And then the playoffs come in and they kick it on. And then they just destroy teams. And, that, and I mean, that's just how the playoffs are. Yeah. Well, in good teams, you know, obviously they, they have that kind of switch. Super Bowl caliber teams have that kind of switch. We saw it even last year with the Bucks when they came into the playoffs. They they were basically nothing. I had them, I think, as like a second round out up against the Saints. And when you know it, they went all the they went all the way to the Super Bowl and won it. So it just kind of goes to show you the, these higher caliber teams, they they do have that switch and they, they are not afraid to throw it late in the game or late in the season. One thing I'll I'll kind of go back to with this Eagles Bucks game, the only thing that really happened of note was the Ryan Jensen and Tristan Wirfs injuries to, to Tom Brady's offensive line. I mean, they, I think they both went down. Both will probably not be playing in the next game. And that's major for that Bucks team. They already have almost no weapons. I think they're missing Fournette and Ronald Jones. Antonio Brown is gone. Uh, not Chris Evans. Chris Godwin. They're, yeah, Chris Godwin. And then Mike Evans, they're both not going to be playing. Scotty Miller, I think, is maybe their only weapon they have left that, that will actually be on the field, which is going to be crazy to watch. That's going to be the, the next Bucks game is going to be one to watch just to see how Brady can operate without those weapons in his Bucks years. Because he, we all know that he did it back in the, his Patriot days, but this is kind of a different monster. Yeah, I you know, I definitely think those injuries are significant, especially whenever you consider if it's Ryan Jensen, who's out one of the better centers in the game going against Aaron Donald next, next week, it, it, it's a big deal. And, you know, worse was an all pro at right tackle. So 
there's those are two huge losses. And man, just as a side note, it's it's really hard to believe Antonio Brown on anything, but Bruce Arians has done himself zero favors since that situation has happened with how he treats players. I mean, there was a video that came out from that game of him running up and smacking the back of a player's head um, like on the field because they were getting some sort of, you know, shouting and shoving match during that game. The forcing Tristan Wirfs, you, you know, your franchise right tackle to go back in after, after he was clearly not right and barely lasted a series, just looked terrible. I mean, it's the pieces are kind of there for Antonio Brown's narrative. Yeah, dude, that was so hard to watch. I remember just that first snap, he went back in his pass, in his pass protection set and just collapsed. Like he got bull rushed all the way back to Brady. And I was like, dude, you got to pull this guy now. They left him in. Yeah. I, I don't it, know it what was they ugly. were thinking. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the Eagles, the only thing you got to say about the Eagles, you give them credit for being there because some people, I remember there were people picking them to be a top five pick this year. So they, you know, they proved something, not a whole lot, but they did prove something. Um, let's move on to what was the best game of the weekend. And this game, I mean, this game just had all sorts of moments in it that you felt like the game was over and then it kept happening and kept changing. Niners Cowboys was, I mean, it was everything you expected it to be. You got a boneheaded Jimmy G interception. You got just awesome play design from Kyle Shanahan. You had terrible game management from both, both of them, which, you know, neither one of them, is, you know, Kyle Shanahan could have ended that game several times and sh- uh, settled for short field goals. Um, you had Dak Prescott choking in the playoffs and checking the ball down instead of making good plays. I mean, this game just had everything you expected from it. And, you know, I, there are zero excuses left for the Cowboys at this point. You know, I, I know we love to hate on Cowboys fans because they're basically a meme and they are, they're just so they're easy targets. Right. But the Cowboys, if you're a Cowboys fan, you have a legitimate reason to be upset. This team is dripping with talent, several all pro pro bowl level offensive linemen and have had one of the best offensive lines in the last five years. Dak Prescott being paid like a top five quarterback, even without Michael Gallup, still two elite wide receivers, a pretty good tight end, two running backs that are supposed to be good. You have an all pro corner tongue planted in cheek and an all pro pass rusher and a great defensive line. I mean, like, there is zero excuses. And then everyone in their brother wants to hire Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn because they're such good coordinators. And this is what they put out there against a team that was completely beatable. I mean, that if I'm Jerry Jones, you have to make changes. I, I do not care. And the answer is not fire Mike McCarthy and put Dan Quinn in there or put Kellen Moore because all three of those boobs were a part of that. See, and – Man, I just have a completely different take from that. Like, to me, we saw this team last year have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. We saw the offense sput and sputter the entire season. You know, they, they had really high ups and then really low lows. And then you come into this year, and to me, it's just the next, the next step in the progression. I think that if you're a Cowboys fan, you can kind of be happy with where this season ended up. You're still going to get a high draft pick. You've got Great talent on both sides of the ball. Now, some of that talent, Trayvon Diggs, as you sort of tongue-in-cheek there, was uh, maybe not as good as everybody 
is claiming for him to be, but they, they have great talent on both sides of the ball. I think that if you get some more key players, especially on the defensive side, you can make a run at it next year. And, and I don't think that division is going anywhere. Daniel Jones is still probably going to be the starting quarterback next year for the, for the Giants. We just saw the Eagles get their teeth kicked in by the Bucks. I mean, and Washington football team, I think, was supposed to release their name at some point and still had it. So th- that, that division is still there for the taking. They are still firmly in control. It does kind of suck that you didn't go all the way, but you say you're going all the way every year, Cowboys fans. It, that's just not how it goes. You got, you got to build it up. You got to get the key pieces, and then you've got to, you've got to make the most of it. So I, I like their chances next year for being a late, late playoff hey, push I, when you make the Super Bowl. Here, here's where you're wrong. First off, team defense is the most fluky thing. It, it changes every single year. We've seen it time and time again. Oh, the Bears have this elite defense that's here to stay. They suck now. Oh, the Jaguars, they have this defense that can, you know, even give Tom Brady issues. They suck now. In 2016, the Vikings have the best defense in the NFL. They suck now. Like, team defense is not something you can come back to. This is a team, again, this is, this is exactly what I was talking about with the Patriots. They're a team that has issues at quarterback. They fall down the rankings, so they get a middle-of-the-tier schedule. Then they fatten up on that week schedule. I mean, you look at how much of their schedule, the Cowboys, was based upon playing the NFC East and fattening up on that and then just a couple of other opponents. I mean, like, listen to this. The Panthers, the Giants, they, they beat the Patriots with Mac Jones. The Vikings, the Broncos, the Falcons, I mean – this, they just fattened up on that. And then even some of their, you know, non-conference games that they had were, you know, against fairly weak opponents. Now, I do think that there, there was definite improvement, and I don't necessarily think that Dan Quinn's to blame for this. I think if we're doing a blame pie here, Dan Quinn's the least guilty of the coordinators. But you're never getting a better season out of Trayvon Diggs because he's a bad coverage corner who has just gotten really good. He's a good – he's good at seeking the ball out like Marcus Peters. And then just got some lucky tips too. That, that that's going to happen. And then well, but you you, know. the the thing is, is that let's just say you take half of those interceptions away. He had like we'll just say he had ten. I can't remember exactly. He had eleven, he had. so we'll give him six. eleven. Okay, so we'll just say you take five of those picks away, but you take half of the yards or a quarter of the yards that he gave up away. This is a completely different football team defensively. And but here's the thing, having a, having a quarter that's that much better, that's not as lucky, being in better position, Charverius Ward would, here, I'll let you go, I'll let you go. Dig, Diggs sucked last year at this too. Like, Diggs was, by PFF, was one of the worst corners in the NFL last year because of his yeah. coverage and without the interceptions. So he's good at interceptions, not good at coverage. So, I mean, I guess year three is the year that he just gets better at covering people. I mean, here... I, my we we're talking about a marginal we're, we're talking about a marginal increase we're not talking anything he's not going to be a Snead or a Humphrey or a Jalen Ramsey but he, he can be a serviceable number two and if you draft I don't know they, they've got a pretty high draft pick draft a safety or or another cornerback to help you out in the secondary I, I, think, I, I that, think I think what you're looking at is Marcus Peters and I know that like that's the easy comp but Marcus Peters would give some shit up I mean he would he would just let people score because he'd bite on stuff and, you know, wasn't necessarily physical in the run game. 
that's why he wasn't in Kansas City. And I mean, I, I, I don't think that, you know, I think that the all pro, I was pretty insulted by several of the choices on the all pro roster that kind of lost some of its credibility to me this year. But, you know, I think the all, the all pro nod is straight, straight up for the interceptions and, you know, he'll lose some of those. And I, I, I don't think he's terrible, but I mean, the def- more of the defense is also about, you know, DeMarcus Lawrence is getting older. They were depending on Randy Gregory. I don't think you can expect much more from Micah Parsons because he was excellent. And then you go to the other side of the ball, the place where the blame really needs to go. I mean, we talk about Kellen Moore like he's a genius all the time and everyone's just waiting, begging to hire him. And this is what he draws up. You know, they're still doing the same old stuff. They're still getting the ball to Ezekiel Elliott too much. They're still not using their receivers in space the way that they should. And I understand that they didn't get to put CD Lamb in the slot as much as they like to. But I just, you know, I just, I feel like there's a lot of window dressing there for Alex Smith with better weapons. And I think Dak Prescott is better than Alex Smith. And I think the weapons are better than Alex Smith had as far as quantity goes, not quality. But there, there should be more scheme creativeness there. And I, to me, they, they have just fattened up on those bad teams. And that's where that's what got them to where they were offensively. They have not been the same since that Dak Prescott calf injury. And I think, I think that showed too. Oh yeah. Well, it, that definitely has been kind of, you know, the talk, especially this season, Dak not truly recovering from that injury. I, w- I want to shift it just a little bit. Cause do you believe that the decision-making is, is really what's in question here? Because I think that there's a case to be made that that Mike McCarthy should probably be fired this offseason. Well, I, I you know, I here's the thing. I don't think Mike McCarthy is just the right type of person to manage that team. I think that Mike McCarthy is the type of guy who needs to go to a team like Jacksonville or somewhere that's really young that needs establishment. There's a lot of big names, big stars big personalities. It's Texas, everything bigger down there. They need, they need a star, a coach. They need their Sean McVay. They need someone that that team believes in. You know, they need someone who's as big as the personalities there. And they're like water and oil. If you watch some of hard knocks this year, he just, I hate it. Like I hated him. He was just like your dad, you know, he's just like one of those, (laughs) you know, he's just one of those people that like, you can you can never like feel like you're comfortable with him. I mean, everything just felt super forced and uncomfortable. It it was just I don't know. He just it was never made sense to me. It just seemed like a Jerry Jones signing. And I understand he's a Super Bowl champion and he managed Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is a bit of a complicated guy. But I mean, I there has to be wholesale changes there if I'm the owner. And part of part of that is is either way, I'm not sure what happened. But that draw play that happened, if that was called a draw, fire them both. Because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, that they would See, call a, a quarterback draw that far out of the field with 14 <laughs> seconds left when you need a touchdown. And then if it's not, if, if it wasn't a design draw and Dak just ran it, going out there and covering for him and saying, oh, yeah, we called it a draw. We've practiced it all the time. Your quarterback needs to be able to say, no, that was me. I, I ran the ball there. I didn't know the situation. I should have got to the sideline or I shouldn't have done it. I should have thrown an incomplete pass. Well, here's the thing with that draw play. I actually like that play call. And, and I'll tell you why. Really, all of that 
Wait, he's on Dak Prescott. You like that play All call because you're are you because you're a Niners fan? Is that why? I mean, I assume that's the well, only reason. Well, I did. I really don't like to see Cowboys fans, you know, winning every week. But that's kind of besides the point. No, dude, it was wide open in the middle. I'll, I'll put it this way. Let's say Dak actually knows how football is played and you have to hand the, the ball back to the referee. And he knows that it's going to take him about five seconds to from the start of his slide to get on the ground, get back up and get everybody there in line. If he drops five yards previous to where he was, they're in incredible field position. They don't have to try to throw a lob from, you know, a, a hail Mary from midfield. They're, they're inside the 30 inside the 25. And they can actually make a legitimate chance. I don't think they would have won the game either way. But I think that if if Dak Prescott is that guy who they say who has all these intangibles and does the correct play. I mean, if it, if it goes like that, you're thinking, wow, what a great play call. Because they just did everything they, they could have done to put themselves in position. And now they've got a shot for it. That, that's all that I'm saying. I don't think that it was necessarily Mike McCarthy or – uh, the offensive coordinator whose name is escaping me. I don't think that that was a bad call by them. The The middle of the field was wide open. And if you've got the time, do it now. Obviously, I, I don't think that, that they, they had two more seconds. I well, one, they didn't have the time. That's the main problem. And here's the way you look at it. I hold on. I'll pull up the game log here. But the point is, is that if you, the argument for the draw is that, oh, we want to make it so we have one shot closer to the end zone to set up the, you know, the game-winning touchdown. The problem with that is, is like, so they are, Dak Prescott scrambles up, he's, so they were on the San Francisco 41-yard line. So, you know, you're looking at like a 60-yard touchdown there to win the game, and they have to have a touchdown. Field goal doesn't do it. So he scrambles 17 yards, then they're on the 24-yard line. Which is better? Let's say they spike the ball in time. Getting one play from the 24-yard line or getting two plays, possibly even three plays, because there was 14 seconds when, he, when they snapped the ball. I mean, you could if, if they incompleted, they could have even gotten possibly three plays off from the 41-yard line. I mean, I'll take the quantity over the quality there because that, that's what you're really arguing is that you, you would want one shot. At the 24-yard line. But that's because it really does boil down to one shot. I mean, you can't try three three Hail Marys to the end zone from the 40-yard line. There's just – there's such a a minute chance that nobody intercepts that ball three times. Even if they threw – even if they threw something to the outside, which Kyle Shanahan had defended with all of his corners lined up on the sideline saying we can't give anything on the outskirts, just force them all back to the middle – I think that you have to take what the defense gives you there. I think that, that you you're, have a wide open running lane. You're argue, so like your argument is it's like, well, I, I want to go down fighting, but I don't want to like go down and I don't want to like fight too hard. Like, no, there's like this, no, have you ever no, seen no, the movie? We not. were soldiers. There's like this scene where there's like the last few of them. They're like surrounded by the Vietnamese army. And there's like this guy and he's like laying on the ground and he's got like a handgun. Everyone else got their M16s and he's like shooting this handgun at the Vietnamese people who are attacking them. 
and like you are like that guy except you're like holding like a swiss army knife and you're like ah i'm going into battle i don't i don't want to i don't want to like like if i'm going down i'm gonna be the guy with a handgun like yeah i don't have a good shot but i'm always going to give my best shots i'm going to either give three passes to the end zone or do something like that hook and ladder that they tried earlier because i mean if you enter, no, if, if, if he throws, if he throws an interception, it's over anyways, right? Okay, but if, if he, y- yes, that that is correct. If he throws an interception, the game is over. But if he slides five yards earlier, it's they they have enough time to spike the ball, and they're in way better position. So that you can't tell me that if they had two or three more seconds, that that ball would not have been spiked in the dirt, and they would have had a shot. Okay, and, and that's so all that I'm saying. Last thing, and then we'll move on. Okay, so I'm going to give you three choices, and I want you to give me. Oh my god! I want you to tell me which one you think has the most likelihood of scoring a touchdown with the with the, the Cowboys. Okay, option okay. number yep. one: three plays from the San Francisco 41 yard line. Option number two: one play from the 24 yard line. Option number three: want two plays. From the San Francisco 50-yard line, which do you think has the most chance of scoring? Dude, you are trying to trap me right now. You know what my answer is going to be. What, so you think it's the 24-yard line? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that that that's one way of thinking of it. I I <laughs> yes, don't think it, it I don't is think one way. Yep. Okay. Look, let me ask you this. <laughs> Dude, we are going to belabor this. Point, <laughs> let me ask you this. If you're shooting this, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a three-point shooting contest with Steph Curry and you want to win, you want to beat Steph Curry, you and Steph are going at it, and you had to pick the number of shots you're gonna take. How many shots are you gonna take? Are you gonna take 10 shots or one shot? Well, what do you well, yeah, you're gonna take 10 shots if you need just need to make one. Well, hold on. No, no, no. You have to beat you have to beat Clay. You have to beat Steph. I only want one shot. I only want one shot. Right, because that's where the randomness comes. Right, one shot. So if you increase that, if you make it so you got three times to try to beat Steph Curry, like let's say you're like, all right, Steph, best two out of three or whatever, you might make one of those and say, hey, I beat Steph in a shooting contest. Right, the more opportunities you have for the randomness to occur, that's where that's where they would have the better chance. I just I just disagree. <laughs> well, I just disagree. I and and I'll say one more thing. I do completely understand where you're coming from because Dak Prescott throwing three Hail Marys, one of them has got to be caught, right? Or, or at least you have a shot. Whereas in the scenario that I chose there, you have, it's 50, 50, it's not 50, 50, three times. And only one of the times has to hit it's 50, 51 time. So I, I get what you're saying. I just, in the, in that scenario, in that game, that's what I would have done. And we might have, they might have still lost yeah. no matter what. Well, moving on to the last game that we're going to talk about before we go Chiefs centric here. Cardinals Rams was, um, I mean, it felt like it was never even close. It might have been as bad as the Bills Patriots game. Really, the only thing I've got to say there is, um, you know, I, th- I think it's time that we stop talking about Kyler Murray like he's in any conversation with. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, even Lamar Jackson, any of those guys, um, he's still got a lot to prove because, um, yes, he was without DeAndre Hopkins in that game, but there's still a lot of talent on that team, and he shriveled up 
man, I mean, that was, that was putrid. Well, you, you have to kind of hand it to him. He has Cliff Kingsbury as a coach and he's going into a playoff scene, which playoff game, which in all, you know, as it so happens, it's in the, the latter half of the season. So Cliff Kingsbury is going to be a non-factor. He might even be working against you. I think it maybe is commendable that he scored 11 points considering all the odds were stacked against him. I mean, my God, man, they, they looked like they did not practice that week. Like the, like the stuff that they were doing, just like, you know, there's sometimes when you watch an offensive game plan from a coach and you kind of see what they're going for. Like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to get these guys moving east to west and then we're going to hit them over the top or we're going to really target the guys in the crossing routes and then we're going to hit them like with the deep or whatever. It just felt like someone was hitting the random button on Madden. It just, and the, and the throwback, like they had that throw across the field where they like lateraled it back across and ended up being a forward pass. And that oh, was like in the yeah, first dude. quarter, like, you know, normally the ESPN booth is pretty, pretty cringe worthy. I was on the Manning cast last night. But they said, you know, I hate Lewis Riggs said I hate that call because it just screams of desperation. And I'm like, man, he's kind of right. Like that just felt like they had nothing. And I mean, you, you can't move your offense. It, it's the first quarter. What are you, yeah, what are you and, talking about? And Kyler Murray panicking under pressure when he's so quick and elusive. That, that was the thing that just made it, it. They just seemed to have zero adjustment in game. Like it was what it was. It wasn't working and it never worked. I wanted to throw this hypothetical out at you just because it's kind of fun to think about, right? So let's fast forward like four or five years. The Chiefs may have another Super Bowl. They might have two. They might have none. But the Chiefs are still a very good franchise. You know, they're winning divisions. They're going to the playoffs. And Andy Reid retires. And Clark Hunt says, you know, we're going to have a thorough um, coaching search. We're not just going to hire internally. Um, and you know, Patrick Mahomes comes out as a huge advocate, advocate for Cliff. He wants Cliff to come to Kansas City. He loved him at Texas Tech. This is you know his thing. He wants Cliff Kingsbury. Ian Rappaport's tweeting it out that Mahomes' camp is very heavy on bringing in former Arizona Cardinals co- co- uh, coach Cliff Kingsbury. Do you do it to keep Mahomes happy? No, I think you trade Patrick Mahomes at that point. Oh, shut up. Shut up. Stop. No way. Dude, there's still time to burn this audio. Do not. (laughs) This is this is this is how it starts. This is the Russell Wilson. This is the Aaron Rodgers. This is how you get south with a franchise quarterback. He rules. Okay, like bar none. It doesn't matter. None of it else matters. Right. Like, no, you get a franchise like Tampa Bay was a poop stain on a diaper until Tom Brady showed up. You know, like, look at what the Chargers were until Justin Herbert showed up. I mean, like, franchise quarterback is everything. Do I think Cliff Kingsbury is a crappy coach? Yes. But, like, this is how it starts. Like, you know, not that I think that this is actually going to be the situation because I think Mahomes is a good soldier, and I think that he would be okay with it being someone internal or whatever. But if if he's, if you know, if, the, if that situation happens, Ian Rappaport says you absolutely hired Cliff Kingsbury because Mahomes is it. Mm-mm. that that's where he nope. is the, he is the way the truth and the light and they're like what was Kansas city before he got here travis kelsey tyreek hill kareem hunt eric berry justin houston all these great players and they didn't do anything like and you know this actually transitions perfectly into the next topic which was talking about chief Steelers. there 
we are too normalized already to how good Patrick Mahomes is. Man, 10 minutes of game time, they put up 28 points. They scored five touchdowns in like 10 minutes of game time. There's just nothing like him when he is locked in. Um, someone tweeted, I think it was, it might've been BJ Kissel or some, some popular Twitter person said, oh no, it was his trainer. And he said, Patrick has left the building. Y'all dealing with LaVon right now. And I mean, there's just, there's nothing like that. And if I've got to bring in Cliff Kingsbury to get all the girls hot and bothered when he's on the sideline, I will absolutely do it. Now, before I say anything, I'm not trying to make bad, or I'm not trying to make light of a bad situation. CTE is a real thing. And if Patrick Mahomes starts vouching for Cliff Kingsbury and wanting him to come in, I think it's time. Maybe he retires or you, 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 uh, you do something because it's about to be an Antonio Brown situation. There, there is no way that, first of all, Patrick Mahomes knows football and he knows that Cliff Kingsbury does not know football. So that, that would be the first thing. He, he is, there, would be, there is no world, there is no uh, universe in the multiverse that, that has that as a situation. Um, secondly, there would be, dude, I just can't get over that. Why would you even ask me that? Because, I mean, it, two, two things, right? Like, for all these people who are on Twitter that can never say a bad thing about anyone in the Mahomes family, or people who, um, you know, people who put these situations together where it's like, you know, what would you give up for this quarterback or whatever, you know, like, we forget how desperate we were for a franchise quarterback and how long it took us to get one. And by the way, we hit the jackpot, right? Like we could have gotten something like Mac Jones, who's like a rookie, pretty good, shows some promise, slowly getting better, yada, yada, yada. No, we got one and we got the, the best, one of the best that's ever done it. And well, like, it, it, look in the draft. We got the only quarterback that's still out of the top three, at least. That's yeah. We hit we not hit in the jackpot. And to let it come down to like, here's, I guess the real question is like, how much do you think a coach is a part of the success? I think a good, a great coach can really contribute to it. But I also think a great player and a great team can overcome that. You know, if Cliff Kingsbury, like, I mean, this is getting so hypothetical that might not even be worth it. But if Cliff, if Cliff comes in and he's just the guy who stands and calls the X's and O's and does that, and then Mahomes is, you know, helping run the offense and tells him what he likes and they've got good players, I don't think that that's a big, a, a, you know, I think it's probably worth a win or two. But I mean, I, you know, I don't think it's, you know, destroying the franchise, especially because, you know, Cliff would probably be on a second team by then and might be a little bit better. I would 100% do this. I, I mean, do I want it to happen? No, I'd be like, ugh, gross. I kind of don't like it. But I mean, like, if if you know if that if that situation occurred, in my mind, you absolutely do it. See, and and I think that you just let Mahomes down. Listen, we've been a good franchise. We gave you half a billion dollars. We love you. We want you to stay here forever. This is where this is where we draw the line in the sand. This is we we will not hire him. Pick anybody else. Pick Matt Nagy again. Have him come in. Steve Spagnolo. I know he's slow to adjust. Put him up at that head coaching position. Anything but Cliff Kingsbury at this point. Well, one thing that we do need to commend um, Clark Hunt on doing is bringing Andy Reid into town. I mean, I forgot someone was kind of recanting the story of how wild it was when Andy Reid left Philadelphia. 
So he was supposed to go to Arizona to interview. And then there was like three or four planes of different teams waiting on the tarmac for him before he ever even got on the plane to go to Arizona. And Clark Hunt was the first person. And he told him that he was not letting him off that plane without him becoming the head coach of the chiefs. And you know, that, that stuff really matters because we talk about the salary cap and what teams have money and don't, but like paying coaches, that's just straight cash. And for him to have the ability to do that and the ability to flex and go and do that. I mean, that between him and Patrick, those are definitely the two largest changes, you know, franchise altering decisions that have happened in the last decade or so. Well, and being an owner, that, that, that just goes to the ownership wanting to win football games. It's, it's not about necess, not, it's not a hundred percent about, I'd be lying if it said it wasn't a little bit about the business side of it. Clark Hunt is going to make his money and it's, it's not just going to be from football. It's going to be through all the other ventures that he's out and he's doing saying, I don't care. Here's a blank check, write whatever number you want to write on it and come to work tomorrow. That, that just speaks volumes to the type of culture that he was wanting to cultivate. And it's super awesome, especially when you hear stories about the Washington football team or the Jags or the Texans. I mean, like there, there are plenty of team owners that would never, ever do that. And we just so happen to be fans of one that will, which is amazing. As a Chiefs fan, we can finally say that. It's amazing. Yes, for sure. And, you know, turning our vision to the game that was, um, you know, one of my concerns about this game against the Steelers was that the Chiefs were kind of going to let all the hype go to their head a little bit, basically sleepwalk through this game and it come out being like 21-10 Chiefs and it never really felt like they got going. And there for a little bit, it did feel that way. And then from the minute that Derek, or not Derek, sorry, TJ White, slid through the end zone, um, they said, oh, no, you're not doing that. And they just went God mode on offense and defense. The defense played out of its mind. The score, it's not as close as it was. But they just, I mean, they went on a 28-0 run. And that, I mean, we've just always said, you know, the Golden State Warriors, that, that's a comparison for this team. They have the ability to do that. And I understand, you know, the Bills did that in their game as well. But the way that the Chiefs go and do that and can just turn it on is unlike other teams because the Bills, they have games like that. They'll, they'll go and beat the Texans 40 to nothing. And then they lose 9-6 to the, to the Jags or whatever. They're wildly inconsistent. The Chiefs can be inconsistent and then just have another gear. And that, to me, was the thing that was so nice to see because we had not seen that gear in a while. And, yes, the Steelers aren't very good, but they're still a playoff team. It was still under pressure. It was still, you know, in prime time. They did all this. Like, Minka Fitzpatrick's a real player. TJ Watt's a great player. Devin Bush is a top 10 pick. Like, there's good Cam Hayward's going to be a Hall of Famer, maybe. There's yeah. great players on that team. And they still, they kick their ass. Like, there's no way around that. And when Mahomes get in, gets in that zone, man, like, like you know, like his trainer said, it's it's LeVon. And it was so good to see that. I other than just, you know, sort of like what the Bills did, I don't think you could have asked for much more going into what is a huge game from a game that they really should have never been playing. Yeah. Well, and dude, just to speak to how potent and violently amazing that this Kansas City Chiefs offense was, they scored 42 points in like two quarters, like two and a half quarters, which is absolutely insane. They went that entire first quarter 
didn't score anything. It went halfway through the second. And then they're like, oh, I guess we'll turn it on before halftime, score 21, come back, score 14, then score another seven. Like, dude, this type of, of offensive play, and you talk about it, Mahomes being pissed off and being angry and wanting to win. Dude, I, it's hard not to watch him and, and watch when you can see him start to take over a game where you don't just watch the t- look at the TV and start smiling, being like, this motherfucker is really going to do this, isn't he? He's, he's, he's really not going to make this game close. And- well, to me, like, to me, the, like, Mahomes moment where it's just like, dude, this, this guy's just got it. It was that third and 20. I'm telling you, my entire life as a Chiefs fan before Patrick Mahomes, third and 20 was a screen for 13 and a punt or settle for a field goal. Like, you gotten that down in distance, forget about it. And for him to, one, get the first down, but not even get the first down, be thinking touchdown there. And, yes, Travis Kelsey made a great play in, you know, beating the safety to the end zone. But for him to be looking downfield like that, that is, that is the quintessential difference between anything we've ever had here in Kansas City and what we have now. That ability to press the ball, it's the same thing as the AFC, the championship looking downfield for Watkins, Sammy Watkins for the touch. Like that, that's the play, dude, the freaking jugular. And that's, that is like the thing that they never had. They always let people hang around. And that is the difference, man. Mahomes puts them to bed. He hits the nail in the coffin and that game was over at halftime. Oh yeah. And the, the crazy part is other teams can feel when that's happening. We saw in the Texans game a few years ago where he came out, they were down 24 and the Texans were still pushing. And Mahomes came back. I, d- didn't we have, weren't we up by halftime? It was like 27, 24. It was 28, 24. And yeah. 28, 24. And once I, I was at the stadium that day and there was a point in time, it, whenever that, I think it was that, that kickoff where uh, Daniel Sorensen hit the ball out and Darwin Thompson grabbed it, where the entire stadium you could feel and, and the, the Houston Texans sideline was like, oh, okay. The, the momentum's about to shift. The tides are changing. Let's see where we end up. And Mahomes does Mahomes things. And if we see something like that against the Bills this, this upcoming weekend, th- that's going to be th- – this is probably, for me at least, the most highly anticipated Chiefs game outside of the Super Bowl. Like th- this game is going to be tough. Yeah. I, I mean, I cannot wait for it. It has the hype of chiefs Rams, except the stakes are even higher for sure. Um, real quick. I did want to talk about um, game balls. Who did you want to give out your game ball to for Chiefs Steelers? It's gotta be Mahomes. We just talked about him. I mean, the dude went off. You, I, I could see somebody saying Travis Kelsey as well. But he was hitting everybody. He was throwing darts. There, there was, what was he, like 30 and 36? He was 30 for 36 on passes. 400 yards. 400 yards and yeah. five touchdowns, man. That's a lot of people, you know, I, I didn't see that on any of the, the sports radio or uh, like Skip and Shannon, Undisputed, any, any of those sports talk show networks. I, haven't, I didn't see anything about it. And that's ins- that's criminal almost because he – that that for any other quarterback is an all-time performance. That's their best game. For him, yeah. it's just he's another norm- playoff week. He's he's normalized excellence for sure. 
Um, and I, I want to talk about this anyway, and this will kind of propel us nicely into the next topic. Uh, my game ball goes to Jarek McKinnon. I He brought something to the offense that they have not had since Damian Williams. And that is someone who can, one, burst through the hole that they have open with those great interior offensive linemen and turn a big gain into or a small gain into a big game he has the ability to bounce the ball to the outside when the when you know the gaps are filled and go around the corner he had 81 receiving yards um that's like you know almost all of Clyde Edwards Alaire total for the whole season in one game McKinnon it's exactly what this offense needs and they have desperately needed we've said for the longest time they need that guy who can just be the um, you know, the go and dump the pass off and get you that extra yardage. McKinnon is, you know, that is a revelation that this offense desperately needed. And if we're sitting here talking about how the Chiefs win the Super Bowl or even just, you know, beat the Bills, I think a big part of it starts with McKinnon at running back. Clyde Edwards Lair's longest rush of the season is 17 yards. McKinnon had two rushes and one drive that were 15 and 13 yards. I mean, he had another 15-yard rush in the game as well, and that's not even including, you know, what he did as a pass catcher. If Clyde comes back next week, which I'm honestly wondering if he's going to, if he comes back and they give him, like, the lion's share of the carries back, it'll be criminal and, like, no joke. McKinnon is a revelation for the offense. That is, This is exactly what they've needed. So – where does he fit in now? Because that's that's kind of where I'm having trouble. This this is going to sound really bad and like we haven't given Clyde a fair shot. Doesn't Clyde kind of feel like the, 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 the awkward guy in the running back room now? Because you have Daryl, who's incredible at catching the football out of the backfield. He can moss people. He, he catches people out on those. those uh, no, I can't even think of the route. Anyway, he, he's a really good at catching the football. And then you have Jarek McKinnon who's very, very good at rushing the football. And with this burly offensive line we have, dude, we, we saw it. You said it, 13-15. He's hitting Clyde's season highs in, in rushing uh, totals. And then I, I don't see where Clyde fits in. And if Clyde doesn't fit in, the thing is, is that they're going to make room for him. I don't know how you do that without that being a detriment to the team, right? Like, so... How do you kind of see him fitting in there? Well, to me, I, to me, I don't think Derek Gore has flashed some, and Derek Gore is a reason why you don't draft Clyde Edwards-Helaire. But I've also not seen anything from Derek Gore that makes me think he has to be played over Clyde Edwards-Helaire. So I say you just give him the Derek Gore treatment if he does come back. Derek Gore tends to get a series or so where it's just like, okay, this is his series. Um, and you know, I think that all three of McKinnon, Williams, and Edward Delaire give you a little bit different look. Um, I think that that's definitely their best three and definitely like the combination that you've um, you'd like to see going forward. Um, and, you know, Derek Gore, he's fine. If we have to rely on him, I don't feel great about it, but yeah, I mean, if McKinnon has to be the feature guy, that is, you know, that is exactly what Damian Williams looked like. As far as the speed, the ability to catch the ball, make people miss, the, the, you know, all of that. So going forward, I definitely want to see him be the feature guy. Daryl can work in there on the third downs. He's still got a lot 
and I, th- I think that toe is still nagging at him too. So it'll be interesting to see how they use the players going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And dude, I, I just want to see McKinnon in this game against the Bills just break one because we, we know he has the, the ability to do so. And that's something I've been missing from our running backs this entire year. There's nobody that's housed one from 40 or 50 yards out. Real quick, before we get out, let's pick the other games. Just super rapid fire because we've kind of run long this time, but that's all good. Um, all right, so the I don't have the game order, so we'll just go random. Uh, Rams, Bucks, who you, got, who you got and why? Oh, Rams. Well, first of all, they're my Super Bowl pick. They're both of our Super Bowl picks this year. And also the Bucks lost basically everybody. And Tom Brady with nobody, we saw it in, in uh, New England. I don't think it's going to be good. Give me the give me the bucks. I I don't have enough faith in Matt Stafford as a passer against that defense. They played really well. Um, I like it close, but I'll but I'll take the bucks. Any game that's close, I'll take Brady. Um, other side of the AFC, Bengals, Titans. I think I gotta go with the Bengals. I think that they are running a hot streak. They're they're really playing really, really well. And I don't trust Derrick Henry coming off of an injury, and I don't trust, trust Ryan Tannehill. I like the Titans big. I think they make Joe Burrow look a little bit more average. I think that people are back to talking, lulling themselves to sleep of songs about Derrick Henry. Um, I think this is the game that the, you know, the Titans have the potential to make this look like, oh, yeah, this is the Bengals again. And this, you know, this isn't the second coming of Tom Brady, as some people have uh, made Joe Burrow out to be. Uh, the other, the last game we haven't uh, picked, 49ers, Packers. Packers. I, I think that they are the toughest out in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers is playing as good as he's ever played, and that defense is still pretty good. So, yeah, Packers. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the narrative gets out of hand. We know that the 49ers have given the Packers trouble, but – they're going into Lambeau. This is Jimmy G with a torn up sol- uh, shoulder and a hurt thumb going against a, a Packers team that's had a bye, that's getting right, that is very driven. Um, this one is one I think as well that might not be close. Yep. And Jimmy G, man, we, we saw how bad he played last week. It's If he does that against the Packers, it's over. It won't he be tried close. so hard. He tried so hard to lose the game. But um, all right, guys. Well, we super appreciate you listening to the podcast. I mean, this is the time that it's great to be a Chiefs fan. We are super excited to share this time with you guys. Um, and just just a fan of sports in general. It's a great time to be a sports fan. So um, for me, at Price A. Carter on Twitter and Christian at CBreezy underscore edits. Thank you, as always, to listening to Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.